Welcome to The Art of Range, a podcast focused on rangelands and the people who manage them. I'm your host, Tip Hudson, range and livestock specialist with Washington State University Extension. The goal of this podcast is education and conservation through conversation. Find us online at artofrange.com. We are reproducing some of the symposia and plenary sessions from the Society for Range Management's 2020 annual meeting and training in Denver for the podcast. I selected sessions in consultation with the meeting and technical program chairs that we believed would be widely applicable and that would not depend heavily on the listener being able to see the accompanying slideshow with photographs and charts. With the speaker's permissions, we will provide contact information for each speaker so that you can request additional information from them directly if you are especially interested in their topic. So next up, we have Dr. Leslie. And Leslie, is it Roach Roche or Roach? <laughs> yeah, for the record, it is Roach. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> yes, that must have been awkward. But Dr. <laughs> Leslie Roach is Assistant Cooperative Extension Specialist in Rangeland Science and Management in the Department of Plant Sciences at UC Davis. Her research and extension program is at the intersection of agriculture, environmental, and social aspects of ranching and livestock production in California. And she got her PhD in ecology at UC Davis and was a USDA NIFA postdoctoral fellow in the Department of Plant Sciences, and she joined the faculty in 2015. And she also uh, gave a wonderful keynote presentation at SRM, and so we invited <coughs> her back to do a victory lap. So thank you <laughs> for being here, <laughs> Leslie Roach, and um, we look forward to your presentation. Oh, okay, thank you so much. Okay, let's see if I can do this. Okay, well, I mean, thanks for having for having me again. I know some of you probably saw this at um, SRM, so I. I hope this won't be too redundant for you. Um, as part of the SRM 2020 Denver annual meeting, um, a couple of us were asked um, to kind of touch on the overall theme of transformation and translation. And I was specifically asked to really focus on rangeland social ecological systems and um, specifically emphasizing the human dimensions. And so, um, when I was thinking about, you know, the, what what to focus on here and thinking about this, um, I kind of went back to early on in my career and um, just a few years ago, and I was invited to a meeting focused on defi defining sustainable rangeland food systems. And so there we were in this grand ballroom with um, over 200 um, folks representing academic and government institutions. Uh, research institutions, environmental advocacy organizations, um, as well as retail associations, um, food distributors, and, and so on. And, um, you know, maybe some of the, the best minds in, in the industry. And, and me, I was a fairly new um, graduate student, um, largely un unknown to a lot of the folks and, and largely unnoticed. But um, what I noticed was that in, the, in this room of over 200 people, there was nobody there whose livelihood uh, directly depended on livestock production and would potentially be impacted by the decisions that were being discussed and being made in that room. And for me, that um, highlighted a critical gap. 
where's the beef? Where are the folks who's, um, you know, who are, who are living on the ground in these conditions and could be affected by these decisions? Uh, where is that human dimension? So, so fast forward to now, um, like many of you, I am fortunate to be part of the cooperative extension system. Um, as a boundary spanning organization, um, we have a really long uh, history of research and outreach with agricultural, natural resource, and, and communities. And um, we've been developing and deploying models of public engagement for well over 100 years. Um, I'm also a rangeland agroecologist. Um, I've always thought of myself as rangeland agroecologist, um, although you don't really hear that term much, but for me, it's always made sense. Uh, agroecology is inherently multidisciplinary. It's inherently creative, and it focuses on the interactions of plants, animals, people, and the environment within an agricultural context and uh, within a working landscapes context. And as you all know, I mean, rangelands are multifunctional working landscapes that are not just part of the food system, but they also provide um, a multitude of ecosystem services and benefits to society. Um, including biodiversity conservation, wildlife habitat protection, um, water resources, um, and, and so on. So, so this is my lens. Um, like many of you, I get to engage with folks from um, all sorts of academic disciplines from, from campus to county, um, kind of like the best of both worlds, and um, as well as I get to engage diverse management, policy, and public stakeholders. So for me, um, thinking about all of this, the, the balance has been synergistic. Um, now, the story that I started with about the, 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 the grand ballroom with all those folks, um, it's not unique. I'm sure we've all had similar experiences from time to time. And, and for me, it really wasn't just a one-off, but it was the first of um, several experiences I've had since then that were you know, just like that. Um, so... You know, I kept thinking, you know, why does this keep happening? Why do we keep finding ourselves in these situations? Or why do we keep doing this? Um, so I'm just going to pause for a minute. I'm not, I'm not, what I'm not going to say is, and I'm not just, just going to say, oh, we need to collaborate more. We need to engage more. I mean, you know, we do, um, you know, it pretty much that has been the, the sort of canned conclusion of every applied research document, discussion, a seminar, and so on and so on. Um, and you know, we, we do need to collaborate more. We need to um, you know, be connecting, communicating, and stakeholder engaging the heck out of rangeland science, ecology, and management, um, how I like to say. Um, but what we really need to do is think about you know, how we can transform the way we think about collaboration, how we are connecting, how we are, how we are communicating, and um, how we're um, translating the way we do science and outreach, as, as well as management. Um, and we need research and management excellence that uh, brings positive um, environmental, social, and economic um, change. And of course, this does not happen um, in, a, in a bubble. Um, the time, you know, I know that many of you know, the time for silo mentality is, is gone and good riddance because um, we've got some um, grand challenges ahead of us. And we need to um, decide, you know, if we're all in this together or not. And because I think in, in some ways, in some important ways, we're not, and, uh, and we need to be. So I mentioned grand challenges already. Um, you know, I was thinking about the themes that I wanted to touch on in terms of transformation and 
translation and specifically, you know, thinking about um, emphasizing the human dimension. And I, I kept coming back to grand challenges. And I, I think that's because, you know, um, at, the, at the crux of a lot of these challenges that we face in rangelands, um, you know, is the human dimension. Um, we know that climate, environmental, and social conditions are changing. Um, simple problems, of course, have been solved, um, leaving us with the um, sort of the, the heavy work of the more complex um, problems that, you know, that we're facing. And they can be considered wicked problems. So thinking in terms of like wicked problems with no single solution, no one right answer. And often they're even difficult to kind of, um, you know, grasp exactly what the problem is or, or, or even defining it. Um, so this is by no means meant to be an exhaustive um, list of grand challenges, but I just wanted to highlight, you know, some of the ones I think that we we are facing in rangelands and what I what I think we can do in, in moving forward. So of course, um, you know, global food demand um, is increasing. Um, recent estimates are about 70 to 110 percent increase um, in uh, food um, demand. Um, to 2050. And um, we're also seeing increases in animal-based um, protein um, as, um, uh, you know, around the world as we see incomes, um, incomes rise. And so we need to think about increasing, um, you know, not just production of high quality accessible food to feed the world's growing population, but we also need to do, do this in ways that provide economic opportunities for folks whose livelihoods depend on agriculture and depend on these lands. And we need to do this in ways that reduce um, environmental impacts associated with food production. And really for rangelands as these working landscapes, uh, most of the time we're also, we're thinking about not just reducing environment, environmental impact, but we're thinking about how we can create and provide for win-win situations and really enhance environmental benefits. And we need to do this all by 2050, which really, really isn't that far away. Um, and of course, we need to do all this in the face of multiple threats, um, first and foremost being climate change. We are seeing uh, more severe and frequent hazards, such as drought and wildfire, with new records um, being set nearly every year. Um, so new research out of California just came out showing that climate change um, has already doubled the frequency of extreme fire weather since 1980 with um, greater uh, fall and temperatures and, and reduced for, uh, fall precipitation. Um, also for rangelands, uh, land use change, fragmentation, and degradation are um, perennial issues because extensive rangeland livestock production um, is almost always less profitable than other alternative land uses, um, including um, housing development and um, uh, more intensive agricultural production, such as row crops. We also have uh, merging invasive species, um, disease and um, um, uh, pest to contend with. Um, these interacting threats, of course, um, are creating novel ecosystem conditions in which they're affecting, you know, not only the structure and function, um, biodiversity, productivity, soil health, um, but also human welfare. I mean, I think as we're all seeing and experiencing right now with the global pandemic, there can be significant social, economic, and um, political impacts from these interacting factors. So what are the solutions and strategies? Where do we even um, start? 
you know, these challenges are multidimensional, dimensional, they are, they are wicked um, um, challenges, but I don't think they are insurmountable. At least I, I don't hope, I hope so. Um, I think first when you think about spanning disciplines, we need to actively engage across disciplines to leverage knowledge from diverse perspectives, um, which can lead to transformative science and transformative um, learning. Uh, for example, you know, uh, some of my colleagues and I, we looked at the enduring problem of optimizing livestock distribution on extensively grazed rangelands, um, which of course has animal behavioral, economic, and environmental barriers, and has been examined through these different disciplinary lenses um, over the years. And so when we looked at the body of research literature, um, we looked at a co-authorship um, network of, of, re of the research on this issue, and we found an overall lack of connectivity across academic disciplines with um, high within-discipline clustering, resulting in an overall network of communities that were disjointed and not well integrated. So you can see here, you know, the, the, the colors um, correspond to um, different uh, disciplinary focuses, and, and so we, both side, we can see that, you know, we, uh, see that, dis, that sort of disjoint um, nature there. And so it suggests that, you know, particularly in this, in this topic, um, we are potentially stuck in our individual disciplines with limited cross-pollination to help us move forward toward new and novel solutions through, for example, integrating um, knowledge and uh, methodologies from different fields like comparative psychology, animal production science, rangeland ecology, and economics. And so really thinking about spanning those disciplinary boundaries. As we move um, from you know, intradisciplinary work that's work within our own fields to inter or transdisciplinary work, we can, it can really launch our ability to address um, complex challenges and particularly looking at complex climate, environmental, and socioeconomic issues. And we need to, of course, you know, thinking just for some examples, we need to engage um, experts in um, political science, economics, sociology, political ecology, and psychology. And um, I think one of the important points here is to respect ex expertise across disciplines and engage them appropriately. I think that's critical because, um, you know, for working effectively and successfully um, to identify, define, and solve um, these, these different problems. And, and really, why not? Why not engage those who have the um, robust academic um, training to bring a rigorous analysis to the table? So, <laughs> so um, just to touch quickly on this, now I'm specifically highlighting the social sciences. Um, I am not a, a social scientist. But I'm specifically highlighting the social sciences here because, you know, we're focusing on how we can emphasize the human dimensions in rangeland social ecological systems. And so clearly there has been an imbalance when we look at the record of funding. And this is an example just from the uh, climate change funding. Over the last 30 years, the natural sciences has received over 800% more funding than the social sciences for climate change research. And furthermore, only uh, 0.1%, so 0.1% of all research funding was spent on the social science of mitigation. So um, obviously this is, this is a critical gap 
we know that the limited integration of um, social sciences has hampered our understanding of um, conservation decision making and adoption of practices in agriculture in general and specifically in in rangelands and so we need better better integration of the natural and social sciences and we need to co-value these approaches and of course we also need a bigger pie to to share so that's thinking about transforming the way that we do science with other scientists. Um, we also need to think more directly about linking science and management. And when I say linking, I mean multi-directional um, linkages. Uh, rangelands are fundamentally, of course, coupled human and natural systems. And we know that humans aren't, um, they're not just external to the system and not just part of the system, but uh, they're major drivers of change. So interdisciplinary, even transdisciplinary research with other scientists alone is not enough. Um, especially if we want to think about translating science into action. We need to think about how we work with communities. And of course, I always go back to um, extension on this in terms of working side by side with industry, local stakeholders and decision makers, um, just as some examples, to uh, develop translational rangeland science from the beginning to better align research with challenges on the ground. And of course, not just extension, but the rangeland partnership um, you know, knows, this, knows this well. And so, and this is a direction a lot of um, organizations are starting to take now. Um, in extension, some of our most progressive programs have moved from um, the loading dock model, kind of that traditional model of extension that I have here on the left side uh, of the screen, which is really a top-down approach of the scientists um, really creating, developing, deploying, and disseminating results to the stakeholders. So it's kind of this from the university to the advisors to the farmers, kind of that, that, that top-down traditional approach, really moving that to um, a model of multi-directional knowledge exchange and mutual learning through collaboration and treating this on what it really is. It's a, a knowledge network. And we can tap these knowledge networks um, through um, different methods, including participatory citizen science and community engagement methods. Um, to co-produce ideas and integrate both the um, technical and place-based experience and knowledge um, to ensure that research is relevant and useful to stakeholders in the end. And so when thinking about this as a knowledge network and more of a bottom-up or ground-up um, approach, in a lot of ways it makes sense to start with ranchers or land managers because they are the actors expected to participate in policy partnerships and they're expected to comply with regulations. So it's crucial to understand how they view um, this landscape. And just so an example of some of the work that we've done in thinking about um, really leveraging these knowledge networks. Uh, following the historic statewide drought in uh, that gripped California from 2012 to 2017, we went out and worked with ranchers to better understand how they were coping and adapting to such extreme conditions. And through, through working with these knowledge net networks, we've been learning a lot about drivers of impact, social and ecological vulnerability, and um, adaptive capacity. And it's because really, you know, communities reliant on rangelands, they potentially are the most vulnerable to climate variability given their dependence on such a climate sensitive um, resource. These really are rain fed um, agricultural lands that we're talking about. And so um, resilience to drought is crucial to their long term sustainability. 
Um, and also, you know, a lot of these folks are uh, multi-generational knowledge. Um, most are third generation or more. So there's a lot of place-based knowledge here. And so through these connections, kind of in a nutshell, what we've learned in terms of sustainability and resilience is that, well, um, information sharing and informa that place-based um, knowledge Flexibility of the resource toolbox, um, for example, um, different types of land resources to flex between and goal setting we found are all important drivers to building adaptive capacity for, for drought adaptation in these communities. We're also seeing how um, planning horizons and perspectives um, may be influenced by such a historic event. You know, we're calling this for California, this was the 500 and even some folks are saying a thousand year event. Um, and what we did was we posed specific statements on climate change um, perceptions, which we borrowed from colleagues in Australia who were working with ranchers um, following the millennium drought down there. And so what we found is, is we, we posed these series of statements. And what we found is that folks, they, um, in general, they disagreed with strong negative statements about the impact or importance of climate change. So. For example, um, they just they tended to disagree with statements like climate change is not an important consideration when developing options for my ranching business relative to other current issues. And they just also disagreed with um, I do not believe that the future climate will be any different from my past experience. So they did see climate change as important consideration and they did see the future climate being different than their past experience. They also tended to agree with positive statements about their abilities to adapt and their interest in learning more about climate change. Um, you know, they agreed with uh, the statement, I feel confident that I already have the skills to manage for long-term drought. And, and I am interested in learning about climate change and its impacts on the ranching industry. And this, this is key because we know that um, climate, environmental and socioeconomic changes will without a doubt create conditions that exceed any past or present experience that humans have had on rangeland. And so um, it's important to see how they view the landscape as we move forward. Um, you know, because we know these novel conditions will require novel research, um, outreach and even management approaches and what might have worked in the past, you know, might not work in the future. Stakeholder engagement um, is also part of transforming the way we do science and making our science actually adaptive. Um, to continue to continue to meaningfully engage stakeholders working at management scales, we always need to be um, finding new ways of, of thinking, uh, new way, new methods, and new approaches um, to make sure that, our, that the research continues to be relevant and is tackling these challenges. Um, Grazing research, um, grazing systems research, rather, for example, has predominantly focused on um, comparing um, biophysical outcomes, uh, for example, livestock weight gains, annual forage production, et cetera, between fixed grazing treatments over, um, you know, fixed periods over fine spatial scales. And so this, you know, we think of this as conventional reductionist uh, ways of doing things, um, which does have value in, in, in certain aspects. Also, it focuses on a command and control way or a top-down um, way of communicating with um, very limited partnership with folks on the ground. So you kind of have that, that barrier, that one-way communication. We also know that ranchers make decisions and adapt management for multiple social, economic, and ecological outcomes. 
And by just focusing on how we have always done things, we're potentially missing the broader um, critical context in terms of adaptive decision-making in the real world. Um, kind of so, kind of a recent example is, you know, I'm, I'm sure you're probably all uh, very familiar with um, the intensive rotational grazing debate. And this has sparked a long debate in the academic and management communities around the world. Um, but once we actually look at this from the perspectives and from the, on the ground perspectives of managers, that is asking folks what they actually do, we see that really there's considerable agreement and not debate between the research and management communities on the value of um, and, and success of rotational grazing strategies, particularly for livestock production. So what we found was when we looked across California and Wyoming ranching communities, for example, we found that the majority of ranchers do not use intensive strategies but rather have adopted and adapted extensive rotational strategies with moderate grazing periods and moderate livestock densities. So by engaging uh, stakeholders, by integrating something as direct as a social survey approach, we can gain a lot of crucial place-based knowledge and potentially save decades of arguing um, and get to tackling the real challenges. To, um, and really to take this a step further, we need to not just engage, but we need to be able to empower stakeholders to take ownership in these research management partnerships. And by that, I mean, you know, the scientists need to cede some of that decision-making power to the people on the ground. And so that we can, and we also need to reach a broader range of stakeholders of folks that are, that have vested interests in the um, sustainable management of these lands. Uh, to this end, several years ago, we launched the California Collaborative Adaptive Management Project, which combined participatory and collaborative um, processes with, uh, within an adaptive management experiment. And we en engaged diverse stakeholders at the very beginning of the research to co-develop um, and co-design the uh, research based on their specific management interests. And during this co-development process, we had divided um, participants into working groups based on their um, professional and experiential um, identities. And so we had, uh, we had a group of ranchers, we had rangeland professionals, we had conservation professionals, and we had a group, a mixed group, that um, had representatives from each of those, um, uh, those three backgrounds. And what we found was, um, when we looked at the ordination of, of priority goals, goals across these, um, these four groups, we found that different stakeholders, of course, um, value different goals. And we saw this very clearly here and um, how they prioritize their, their goals. And this didn't significantly change with group discussion um, as we looked before and after um, discussion prioritization. And that's not surprising at all, given that goals, um, goals are pretty fundamental for, for folks. What we did find um, that changed during discussion was how folks were connecting management practices to their priority goals. Uh, when we looked at goal method link networks here, basically we found that all groups, um, you know, increase the number of connections or the number of ties between goals and practices that they've identified. And the biggest gains were seen in the uh, mixed groups where participants had different backgrounds and experiences. So we were seeing folks that were using the experiences and knowledge they learned from others um, with different methods um, to connect that to their priority goals. And so it really demonstrates the value 
of interdisciplinary interactions and group learning, and really the value of diversity in, 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 in group consensus. So, so there's there's been a it's it's been a really exciting time in, in rangeland ecology and management. There's a growing body of work directly um, engaging ranchers and rangeland owners. But we also need we always need to keep thinking about how um, we can continue to grow, and we need to think about how we can meaningfully engage other stakeholders, other resource users, and potential partners. And we need to consider broader diversity of stakeholders um, across race, class, gender, and ethnicity, and of course, the intersections of these identities. Um, and we need to do this because you know, a lot of us are part of public institutions, or at least linked with public um, institutions in some way. So for us, you know, a really important question we should always be thinking about is, who is the public? Um, so you know, it's important, it's a particularly important consideration when we're thinking about um, sustainable and equitable resource management. And so just touch on some of the expanding partnerships that, um, you know, some, some of my colleagues and our group has been doing. Uh, in California, we have a whole new breed of ranchers and rangeland managers have, that have been um, underserved by outreach organizations. These are first-generation ranchers. They're often female and uh, generally millennials. Um, until now, there has been very limited information about this group. At best, from what we've been able to, to find, was that they've been generalized as beginning farmers under uh, many policy and support programs. So going back to what we had previously learned um, about sustainability and re resilience in terms of multi-generational operations on, and more traditional operations on, on rangelands, you know, we found that these first generation ranchers, um, typically they have more limited networks, they have less access to resources and fewer adaptation strategies, and of course, less past experience with drought, you know, av available to them relative to their counterparts of the more typical larger multi-generational operations. And this potentially makes them more vulnerable to climate and environmental change. Um, of course, we're also finding that they are experimenting with different ways of doing things and they are starting from scratch and, and taking some risks. So with this uncertain future, um, increased outreach and partnerships from support organizations could be crucial to um, helping this ne next generation succeed and in sustaining um, this, this landscape. So as I mentioned, you know, the, the, the theme had been um, really focusing on transformation and translation and, and of course, communication. And um, I was also thinking a lot about, you know, kind of the third um, important theme here um, in, is training and an interrelated important theme. Um, future generations, they need to be prepared to define and tackle the next grand challenges that we probably haven't even thought of yet. Um, particularly since we know that climate, environmental, and socioeconomic changes will without a doubt create conditions that um, none of us have ever experienced before. Um, one of the uh, discussion points or questions that came up during the plenary discussion was about um, soft skills and training students in soft skills. Or I like to think of these more as transferable life skills. And I think that the current global pandemic only underscores the importance um, of this and in, in imparting transferable life skills for the next generations and in dealing with these challenges within a very um, complex world. 
We also still have diverse information needs um, for rangeland management. Uh, students need to be trained in developing and using um, use, uh, using use, useful and efficient monitor, monitoring techniques, as well as translating monitoring um, data into knowledge and, and management actions. Uh, they also need to be able to build capacity in using new technologies and, and translating those as well. And um, open source approaches, of course, have um, you know data sharing. Um, between scientists and managers provides a lot of different opportunities, but of course, they always they also come with their own sets of challenges. Um, turning lots of data into knowledge, collaborator confidentiality and trust, particularly on private lands, um, and transparency and data sharing is just just a few challenges um, to to think about. We can also enhance um, training by continuing to build cross institutional partnerships to increase capacity of students land managers, resource uh, professionals, and scientists. These partnerships can also provide important opportunities in developing interpersonal relationships, building leadership skills, effective communication, and that includes communicating um, science to diverse audiences, and of course, the art, the art of networking and um, coalition building. So we need to really invest in their excellence and train the next generation of collaborators, leaders, and, um, and problem solvers. So of course, a lot of this um, I don't take lightly. It's you know it's changing the culture of our institutions and our disciplines and the way we do things, which is no small task. Um, but if we want to have impact beyond the experimental unit, beyond the um, pasture, and build uh, broad scale solutions, then we really need to think more broadly about working across institutional land ownership and political boundaries. So. When building dialogues around solving these grand challenges, such as sustainable rangeland food systems, we need to ask ourselves, you know, are we really hearing and engaging all the diverse voices, their values, their goals, their perceptions, and their experiences at the table? Are we really um, integrating and emphasizing that critical human dimension? So um, I just wanted to, you know, acknowledge the the many endless um, list of colleagues and collaborators that helped made this all possible and fun, and as well as, as funding organizations. And again, I just wanna really acknowledge that SRM 2020 Denver team for their leadership and innovation and pushing all of us to really think about transformation and translation in rangeland ecology and management. And I know that that message is also resonates well with, with this partnership as well. So, Thank, thank you. Um, I think I had some, like something was popping up here. I don't know if you had any questions or. Leslie, I've got a question. Yeah. So really appreciated your uh, presentation, by the way. Thank you. Um, one of the things I've thought about is it seems like here in Wyoming, there's a lot of people that would like to come and work here, do research, all types of human dimensions of natural resources. And over the last five or six years, I've gotten increasingly hesitant to open up my networks to people who I haven't vetted and I question their motives sometimes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's like there's a particularly vulnerable population group and someone sees that as an opportunity to capitalize on and, and maybe I'm getting older and more gray hairs, but I don't know. I'm, I'm becoming more and more protective of my, my clientele. And I just wonder how you think about that and balance that out as you try to collaborate on projects. Thanks. 
I think that's a really important point. You know, one of the things I mentioned um, was referring to open data sources and collaboration on private lands, but was about trust and transparency. And, you know, within Cooperative Extension, we have, uh, we have a, you know, we're standing on the shoulders of 100 years of work and relationships, and we have a lot of trust. But it is so, I'm, I'm sure you know, and a lot of folks here know, it's so easy to lose that. It's hard to gain, easy to lose. And so that is something that I am always, you know, when when I'm approached by different organizations or folks, or even um, actually even students, um, when we're talking about potential projects, um, I'm very transparent about my concerns for that and, you know, and, and the importance of those relationships. And um, just being really clear with the, the folks that want to um, collaborate or, or, or dip into these networks, you know, what is their, um, what is their goal? What, it, what is it that they really want to do? And, um, you know, what, I guess I'm just, I have, I have very, and, and maybe I'm getting old and gray haired too, because I've been having much more direct conversations over time than I, than I used to with some potential partners. And, um, you know, luckily I, my clientele and I, we haven't been burned. Um, so far, but um, that is something I'm always thinking about as well. I don't know if anybody else um, on on the call here has any other um, experiences they'd like to share. But I think that's a, that's a really good point. Um, yeah. Well, so you mentioned you know sustainable and equitable, and I've been thinking about you know that in the Colorado context and thinking about all people who work in agriculture, particularly you know sheep herders and H2A workers on lands and their involvement, I think they have been an underserved group by extension historically. And I didn't know if you'd done any work in that realm or had any reflections on just the, the different groups within agriculture that make agriculture happen that haven't maybe been traditional stakeholders in extension. Um, yeah, I mean, that's something that we keep, uh, we keep bringing up, you know, this, uh, I'm actually involved in several groups here in California, we've got a pretty active research to policy group, and we've been having these conversations about, um, you know, thinking about, so recent, a workshop we just had was racism in agriculture in the land grant university. And so oh. there were some very honest, uh, very, uh, very good conversations in that and a lot of a lot of folks just kind of um, coming to, to terms with that and how can we improve how we're engaging folks and really thinking about who the public is. In fact, that, that question, who the public, is something that we always bring up in that particular group. Um, and I think that's something we always need to do in challenging ourselves and thinking about um, not just extension, but any sort of public institution. Um, you know, who are all the folks that we are engaging? Who aren't we engaging? And how can we, how can we do better? And particularly when we're targeting um, smaller and smaller resources, um, you know, who are who are the folks on those marginalized edges that really maybe need those resources more than others? And how do we how do we do that as a public institution? Thank you for listening to the Art of Range podcast. You can subscribe to and review the show through iTunes or your favorite podcasting app so you never miss an episode. Just search for Art of Range. If you have questions or comments for us to address in a future episode, send an email to show at artofrange.com. For articles and links to resources mentioned in the podcast, please see the show notes at artofrange.com. Listener feedback is important to the success of our mission, empowering rangeland managers. Please take a moment to fill out a brief survey at artofrange.com. 
This podcast is produced by Connors Communications in the College of Agricultural, Human, and Natural Resource Sciences at Washington State University. The project is supported by the University of Arizona and funded by the Western Center for Risk Management Education through the USDA National Institute of Food and Agriculture.